All right. Well, I'm happy to be here today. Of course, I guess with everything going on, I'm happy to be anywhere today, you know. So, um, But I'm grateful to be with you, and I appreciate the pastor uh, entrusting me uh, with this time. I'd like to draw your attention to the front of the bulletin. We're not having service tonight, so I'm going to give you two sermons for the price of one. Paul, in his letter to the Philippian church, writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm so grateful for the efforts that are being made to uh, work against this disease that's plaguing our, our country. I'm grateful for uh, the, the agencies that are working hard. I'm grateful for the doctors that are, are working hard, uh, the scientists. But, but as I read this scripture, I, and I know that God, uh, God puts uh, those people in our place to, to assist and help and, 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 and work towards this. But as I read this scripture... I have to say this, friends, though I am grateful for our government's efforts to work to this, our government is not going to save us from the coronavirus. And I'm grateful for the CDC, but the CDC is not going to save us from the coronavirus. And I'm grateful for all the doctors and scientists that are working hard to come uh, to a, a vaccine that will, uh, will work against the coronavirus. But friends, I want to tell you something. Those, the government won't save you. The doctors won't save you. The CDC won't save you. God will save you. And I will tell you this. This scripture reminds us whether we get the virus or not, God's still in control. Now, I'm certainly not saying be ignorant. <laughs> I'm certainly not saying not to use caution. I'm certainly not saying don't go out and if you can find some, buy some hand sanitizer. But friends, it is not the people of this earth that will save us from those evil things that come against us it is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that's not my sermon for today, but I thought I'd throw one in for free. I saw a, uh, a video recently that shocked me, but in some respects, I, I don't know why it shocked me. The video was of a group of students, or I guess students, young people, and two guys got in an argument. Then the argument got into a fight, and one of the young men was knocked down on the ground, and all of a sudden it was like a pack of animals. People were kicking him. People were running and jumping on top of him. People were kicking him in the head. He laid there... A, obviously unconscious, and I, I did not watch the end of the video because, quite frankly, my stomach was turning. I just, I just went ahead and turned it off. But what came to my mind in that time was, while all of this was going on, there was someone recording it on a phone. 
They weren't using their phone for calling 911. They were using their phone for recording this fight and seeing this young man beaten senseless. Now, friends, you can go on YouTube. You can go on Facebook. You can go to dozens of places and see videos like this. And I shared with the Sunday school class this morning, you know when you're getting old when you say, when I was a kid... The thing is, I was a kid during the 60s and 70s, and if any of you know anything about that, you know what it was like then. But friends, we are living in a time where I don't think, it, it, I don't think any person with any kind of sensibility, any kind of moral compass at all, would not say, what in the world is going on? in our own country and around the world. And if things didn't seem to be bad enough with all the crises that seem to be going on around the world, with all the upheaval that we have in our own country, if it wasn't bad enough, then this stupid virus comes on the scene. What are we going to do? Where can we turn? I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the 22nd chapter of the book of Ezekiel. Now, I, I, would, I want to tell you without any re- reservation, God laid this passage of Scripture on my heart, and He laid it on my heart a few weeks ago when the pastor was preaching about Elijah standing on Mount Carmel and going toe-to-toe with the over 450 prophets. And how God and one man changed the life of the people, of God's people in that moment. God and one person. God and one person still makes a difference. Now the nation of Israel this time was in captivity, but they were free to to their own devices. Many of them have were, were uh, worshiping Baal. They were worshiping false gods. We see the sin of the nation. They are in the, the throes of immorality. There is corruption within the government. Immorality of the people is rampant. There is extortion and robbery and thievery and and doing all sorts of unholy things and going against God's word and doing unholy things within the sanctuary. Stop me if you've heard this story before. Because you've probably heard that same story when you turn on a news channel. The, 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 The nation was engulfed in The throes of sin, deception, immorality, oppression, robbery, extortion, the whole nine yards. And in this passage of scripture, if we look at the 30th verse with me, if you will. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. God was looking for one person to help build the wall where it had been torn down, to stand in the gap 
that he might not destroy the, the, the nation. You see, that concept of standing in the gap is a military term. During some kind of siege, when the wall would come down or part of the wall would come down, then there would be soldiers that would rush to that part of the wall to try and build up the defenses. And while they built up the defenses, there would be those that would stand in the gap and fight off the enemy so that the wall could be repaired, the strength of the wall could be reinforced, and the enemy would not come in to where they were. And in this instance, God uses that military term to ask, I, to say, during this time of sin within the nation, when Israel had basically turned its back on God, God sought for one person, just one person, who would make a wall and stand in the gap so that God would not destroy the city. See, God's wrath is not going to be held up by people's sinfulness. And it's not the government that's going to hold back the wrath of God. It's not our politicians and doctors and lawyers that are going to hold back the wrath of God. Friends, the wrath of God is coming. And there is absolutely nothing that is going to stop the wrath of God. But in this instance, God, as he, as he was barreling forward towards the people because of their sinfulness, he sought one person to stand in that gap so he would not destroy them. And the, the, the thing that he says next is one of the saddest things I, I've ever read, but I found... No one. See, when we look in that passage of Scripture, in the 26th verse of that same passage of Scripture, God talks about the priests. It seems like it should have been the priests. The priests were the ones that ministered to the people. They were the ones that carried out the sacrifice. They were the holy leaders in that time. But what does God say about the priests? Look in verse 26. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy. It got to such a point that the men who were charged to take care of the people spiritually, the ones who were to carry out the sacrifices, the ones who day in and day out were there to minister to God's people, got to a point in their sinfulness that they could not distinguish between that which was holy and that which was unholy. Friends, I want to tell you something. I believe with all of my heart, I have been in places like this. There are churches that are meeting this day where ministers within that church cannot distinguish between that which is holy and that which is unholy. They're more worried about preaching about and talking about social justice. They're more worried about talking about the things that the community and government can do for for uh, the com- the uh, the government can do for the community. And friends, there is less time talking about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. In verse twenty-seven, her princes. The leaders, the government leaders, 
Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, to get dishonest gain. The government officials were corrupt. There was one thing and one thing only that they were interested in. They weren't interested in governing the people. They weren't interested in the rule of law. They weren't interested in taking care of of, of the community. They were interested in gaining more power and more wealth. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. So God could not call upon the priests to stand in the gap. God could not call upon the civic leaders, the ones who were in charge of making sure the city ran right. So then God looked to the prophets. Now friends, our modern day prophets, the Old Testament We know prophets to be that person that holds an office that is the mouthpiece for God. God speaks to the prophet and the prophet speaks to the people. Our modern day prophets are the folks that stand in a pulpit or stand on a street corner and take their their Bible and proclaim the word of God. Those are our modern day prophets. We need people who are willing to stand boldly and proclaim the word of God and not make excuses for it. We need people who are willing to stand behind pulpits and stand on the street corners and stand at work in different places and say that sin is sin. And I thank God, I truly thank God for a pastor who stands in this spot Sunday after Sunday and without any shame whatsoever, without any doubt whatsoever, proclaims the word of God. But look at verse 28. Her prophets plastered them with uh, untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. Even the prophets, even the prophets were whitewashing the gospel. It reminds me of what Paul said to Timothy when he said that there will be a time. There will be a time when men's ears want to be tickled. There will be a time when men will surround themselves with those who will say what they want to hear. They will whitewash the gospel. Because you see, it's it's not very pleasing sometimes to be put on the spot with our sin. It's not very pleasing sometimes to be put on the spot for our immorality. It's not easy to be put on the spot for our lying. It's not easy to be put on the spot for our hatefulness towards one another. And friends, you know this, I know this, but let's let's call it what it is. It doesn't make any difference if it's lying, stealing, adultery, homosexuality, backbiting, in the eyes of of a holy God, it is sin. 
And the prophets of this time were willing to whitewash it. They're willing to tell us what we want to hear. And there are people feeling, filling pulpits today, I'm convinced. I hear it on TV. I read it in books. There are those that would preach to us that, hey, God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be healthy. And if you send me money, if you support what I say, you will be healthy and you will be rich. I am rich. I'm rich because my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I got news for you. He owns the hills. Paul said, for a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I pray, I pray this side of heaven until Christ returns. I pray that we will never be a people that will say what people want to hear when it comes to the truth of God's word. So, God searches for that one person. You see, it only takes one person. One person in faith who's committed to God. It only takes that one person to intervene on behalf of a nation. To intervene on behalf of a community. To intervene on behalf of a church. To intervene on behalf of a loved one. It only takes one person committed to God. In Exodus 32, 11, we see where Moses, God was ready to destroy. God was finished with the nation of Israel. He told Moses, you know what, Moses, I'm just going to go ahead and take them all out. And from you, I will start a new nation. And here's old Moses. Now, I got I to tell you, I could, I, I could think about the temptation there. Okay, well, you know. Then there'd be the complaining would stop, and you know we we kind of have our own thing going, God, and now everything would would rest on me, and and I would be the father of a great nation. That's not what Moses did. Moses, just a man, went before God, stood before God Almighty, and said, "Lord, think of your reputation, think of who you are, think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about." All of your people that you have delivered out of Egypt. Think about what everything, everything that you have done already, God. And that you are a loving and sovereign God. And Moses intervened on behalf of the people. Now, let's make no mistake about it. God is sovereign. God is king. God is creator. And friends, God... Is before time. Before time existed. God was there. And so this great king. Prince of peace. Ruler of the universe. The one who spoke time and space into existence. If anyone had the right. If anyone had the authority. If anyone had the power. To wipe out the nation of Israel. God did. But one man committed to God in faith and in love for the people stood between them and destruction. 
Genesis 18, we see where Abraham stood before the Lord on behalf of Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah. Man, when we talk about terrible places, we always think of, the, of putting Sodom and Gomorrah in that place. If we think of some terrible place in the world, well, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. We think about some sinful city uh, in the United States, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. Man, I mean, it, it would be fighting words to tell somebody they were from Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham stood before the Lord and said, Lord, if you can find X number of righteous people. And he just kept on and on, finally to the point to where Abraham got it down and said, Lord, if you can find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare them? And God said, yes. If I can find 10. Now we know God did not find 10 people, unfortunately. But God was willing to destroy the whole city just for the sinfulness of a city alone. But he was willing because of the prayer and commitment and faithfulness of his servant Abraham that if there would have been even just ten people living in that, uh, that sin and that cesspool of sin, if there would have just been ten, God would have spared the city. In this instance, in Ezekiel, God is talking to the prophet and saying, I looked to see if there was one. If I could find one person. And in our Bible, he says if there was one man. But I can tell you, friends, if God can find one man, one woman, one teenager, one child... To stand in the gap before him and destruction, God uses the prayers of a faithful servant. Now I got to tell you, in my life, some of my greatest prayer warriors have been the women in the churches that I have gone to and the women who God blessed me with in my life. God was searching for someone, but unfortunately, he found no one. You see, friends, Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. In that verse, Paul, in the context of that verse, Paul is encouraging believers to put on the armor of God. To put on that helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. But he also admonishes us to use that that offensive weapon, the sword of the word of God. That is the weapon that you can stand in a gap with. That is a weapon that will fight off the enemy. And there is no power. There is no disease. There is nothing in this world that we know of that can stand against 
the power of the Word of God in the hand of a man, woman, or child who is of faith and convinced that God can do it. John told us, Whosoever shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 1 John 5 tells us, and this confidence that we have in him, that if we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. So what does it take to stand in the gap? What does it take to be that one person that can stand in the gap? It takes a person of faith. God looked for that one person that had enough faith in believing that God and that person could make a difference. It takes a person of commitment. That's a person that trusts God to do what he says he's going to do. You know, I could bring a chair up here right now, and I could tell you all about that chair. And I could show you that that chair has four legs, and that that chair is built really sturdy. And I can tell you all the great things you can do with that chair. It might be strong enough to stand in it. It's certainly strong enough to sit in it. And I can tell you all the wonderful things about that chair. But you know what? I don't have a commitment to that chair till I what? Sit in it. I don't have a commitment to that chair until I'm willing to sit down on that chair. Friends, we don't have a commitment to stand in the gap until we're willing and know that God can make things happen. And unfortunately, I believe in our country and in our churches. And, and folks, I... I really don't mean to sound like a doom and gloom type of guy. I really don't. But I really believe that God today is calling for people to stand in the gap. And he is calling his people. He's not calling the president or the Congress or the world leaders or, uh, or, or doctors. He's not calling any of those people to stand in the gap. He's calling for faithful, committed believers. And then finally, finally, it takes a desire. You see, you can say you're a faithful person. You can show a degree of commitment. But until your desire is the same as God's desire, because God's desires have become yours, that's when you can stand in the gap. And I believe, I believe that God is still in the salvation business. I believe that God is still in the miracle business. I believe that God is bigger than terrorism. I believe that God is bigger than sickness. Now, friends, there is sin in this world, and people don't sin in a bubble. We are affected by the sinfulness of others. 
But throughout history, as the Bible tells us, it rains on the just and the unjust. We are always going to be affected by the sinfulness of other people. But Paul would tell us, does that mean that we would not be a believer? Does that mean that we should just go ahead and sin also? His words would be, may it never be. God forbid. We can't concern ourselves with the outcome if we believe that God is in control. Now, I didn't know that Brother Nick was going to ask me to preach today when those weeks ago he preached about Elijah. But I went home and God was just just burning a hole in my heart about this and led me to this passage of Scripture. Now, as I've told, whenever I've had an opportunity to preach, when I pastored for a few years, I've often said to congregations, you guys get the brunt of what God has been beating me up over for weeks. Brother John, you know what I'm talking about. And God was burning a hole in my heart about this. Because as faithful as I've tried to be, as committed as I've tried to be, as desiring as I've tried to be, I knew that there was still something that was missing. And what was missing was those ingredients with the overall knowledge and belief that God is still in control, God still loves us, and God still wants to change this world in His name. We sing the song, Lord, send a revival and let it begin in me. Friends, this is what we're talking about. This, the, the prayer walk had no idea that that was in the works when God laid this on my heart. The passage of scripture that, we, that, that was on the bulletin had no idea that that was going to be there when God put this in my heart. And friends, my, my challenge, my encouragement to you today is this. God is asking you today, I believe this with all of my heart, and not because of anything I'm saying, but because of his word. Today, God wants, you to, wants to ask you, are you willing to stand in the gap? Now, some might say, you know, Brother Tom, I don't stand as good as I used to. I get you. I get you. But one thing that I have learned and what God has taught me is, it's not the position of your body, it's the condition of your heart. Whether you kneel in the gap, you stand in the gap, you sit in the gap, the important thing is spiritually, you're in the gap. And God has impressed me with this so much. And I I believe that he, he is calling for people, even this day, to stand in the gap spiritually. To build a wall, to work together. And friends, and I believe that in Glen Heights, Texas, Bear Creek Baptist Church is a beacon that God wants to use. And I believe that each of us has a gap that we can stand. And in that gap, your ministry is a ministry of prayer. 
in that gap, if God leads someone to you, your ministry is a ministry of mentorship and discipleship. In that gap, should God provide that divine appointment, you don't have to be a great theologian. You don't have to know every, every word and have the whole Bible memorized. You just have to be a willing witness that is willing to say, this is what God did for me, and he still wants to do it for you. You notice I'm putting my tissue in my pocket, not on the pulpit. So my challenge today to you, my, my sincere hope today for you is this, that if you've been on the sidelines, you'll pick a gap. If you've been in the gap part of the time, but not all the time, you'll go in the gap full time. You can be in the gap at work. You can be in the gap at school. You can be at the gap at home. You can be in the gap at the grocery store. Anywhere you are, God wants you to be in that gap. I feel so strongly about this. Believe so strongly that God has placed this on my heart. I've got a gift for you today. I'm not trying to, sense, to, to, to be sensational about any of this. And friends, this has nothing to do about being political. It has nothing to do about which side's right, which side's wrong. It has everything to do with committed men and women in faith knowing that in their hearts they have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with standing in that gap for your faithfulness, for your family, for your friends, for our community, for our nation, for the lost, against sin. Out in the foyer, there's a basket. This little white band that I'm wearing says, I'm standing. It's, it's just reminded me. It, it doesn't mean you can't stand without wearing an armband. But it's a reminder to me, and it's a conversation piece to others as to why I'm wearing a band saying I'm standing. It may open up an opportunity for you to tell somebody why you're standing. What you're standing for. But every day that I put this on, every time I look at it, I'm reminded that I have, in faith, made a commitment to God. And my desire is to stand in the gap. And let God work through me for his way and his purpose. I got news for you. God doesn't need you. But God loves you and wants you. Could God from heaven 
proclaim the name of Jesus? Yes. And one day he will. But right now, until that time comes, and we don't know when that time is, but I can tell you it sure looks like it's getting closer and closer all the time. But until that time comes, God's desire is to use you and to use me to stand in a gap. Friends, doesn't make any difference about your money. Doesn't make any difference about your age. Doesn't make any difference about your health. I one time went to a nursing home many, many years ago. And I got the opportunity to, to preach at a nursing home. It was one of my first opportunities to preach. It was really encouraging because I had some guy look at me and say, You call that a sermon? Well, I did until now, but you know. Uh, but I was going around and talking to some of the folks, and they had wheeled this woman in in bed. And she said, oh, she says, I, I just wanted to come in here. She thanked me for being there. And she says, you know, I've broken, I have disease, but I've broken every bone in my body. I can't get out of this bed. She said, but every bone in my body praises God. Oh, Lord, let me have that kind of faith. Let me have that kind of commitment. Let me have that kind of desire, Lord, and let me stand in the gap today for those who need Jesus, for a country that needs Jesus. For a community that needs Jesus. For family that needs Jesus. For friends that need Jesus. Oh Lord, let me stand in that gap. And I pray today that you will join me. I pray that you will join me. One person in God is enough. But can you imagine what all of us plus God can do? Friends, those bands as you are leaving, if you want one. Please, I invite you to take one. If you don't want one, you're not going to hurt my feeling. That's one that I can give to somebody else. But I felt impressed to do this for my brothers and sisters of my church to get these bands in that if you wanted one, and you can join me in the gap without one. It's not, an, it's not a club. But if you want one, I want you to have one. And if you know somebody that wants one, you go ahead and take it. And if you, if, if you have a chance to share with someone what it's about, and they say, hey, I want to stand in the gap too. You pray with them. You bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. You give them the band. Tell me I'll get you another one. But you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings if you don't take one. That's why, and that's why I'm not having them here on the uh, Lord's Supper table and asking you to come down during the invitation to take one. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. I want you to take one if God leads you to do it. But more than anything, whether you take a band or not, whether you want to wear a little rubber band around your wrist, that's fine. More importantly to me is that you make the decision to stand in the gap. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things going on right now in our world. So many things that 
I know someone of my age, Lord, just seeing the years go by and the way things have, have gotten, sometimes it just, Lord, it's so overwhelming. It makes us fearful. It does make us anxious. It makes us concerned. It makes us concerned for our kids and our grandkids and, 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 and our nation as a whole. But Lord, let us be still and know that you are God. Give us that peace that surpasses all understanding, Lord. But in doing so, let us gird ourselves with the armor of God. And prayerfully and spiritually, Lord, no matter who we are, let us stand in the gap for one another, for family, friends, community, nation. And let us stand in the gap, Lord, to be prepared to repel the enemy, not in our own power. My power doesn't come from my strength, Lord, because I see every day my strength waning. My power comes in the strength of the great I am. The almighty. The amen. The first and the last. The prince of peace. The savior of all mankind. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.